Welcome, everybody, to episode 209 of the Meta Beaters 2 podcast. I am Ben. And I am David. And uh, this week, because it's just being... Uh, well, actually, both of the, these movies are being released on uh, a high-definition 4K disc. Uh, <laughs> more, more pixels than you know what to do with. Worldwide. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about um, the 1965 movie, Doctor Who and the Daleks. DR Who. <laughs> Doctor Who, Susan Who, and Barbara Who. Susie Who. All the Who, Susie Who, <laughs> Susie Q. Yeah. Which I believe, David, you've never seen before, correct? Uh, not for a long time. Okay. Uh, I, I did watch it with a total neophyte. Right. My wife, Rita, watched it with me last night, and uh, I can share a little bit of her reaction, too, in a bit. Well, that's a great coincidence, because I watched it with my lovely wife, Amanda, as well, and um, mm-hmm. I can share, <laughs> share her, her <laughs> bemused reaction to it as well, if that's... If that's yeah. 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 Um, but I don't think... We've, we've never talked about the movies, right, on the, on the podcast? Only tangentially, okay. you know, a sidebar here and there, but nothing, yeah. nothing fully devoted. Not you know, not thirty, sixty, however many minutes. However many minutes we can drag out for this one, uh, <laughs> stretch this one out. <laughs> um, so here's a question: When did you first encounter Doctor Who and the Daleks? I think I encountered it on UHF television in the Twin Cities sometime in the 1980s as a late-night feature. It might have been a Mystery Science 3000. Oh, is that the one where they, like, mock the film in an irritating way? Yeah, it might have been the first time I've seen it, but I'm not sure. It's all a blur because Mystery Science Theater began in the Twin Cities on oh, really? UHF. did it? Yes. Were you, yeah, were, you, were, was... were you a fan of Mystery Science Theater? It was often counter-programmed to Doctor Who, oh, so uh, unless I made an attempt to right. record it, but I was generally recording Doctor Who as I was watching it, yeah. so I didn't see a lot of it. I've not seen much of it. I, I have a great aversion to Mystery Science Theatre because they, they mock a lot of films that I think are amazing, so it's like, what, what the hell? <laughs> Stop. Like uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Like Doctor Who and the Daleks. <laughs> yes, exactly. There was one particular movie that I'm very fond of. Um, but I can't remember its name now. Anyway, Doctor and the Likes. I also encountered it on the television. Mm-hmm. But as I think has become familiar to our listener at this point, I encountered all Doctor Who things earlier than you did. Um, yeah. So I, th- I believe it premiered on BBC One in 1971. And then it was pretty much regularly shown over the summer holidays. Um, uh that, that is so weird. Maybe Saturday mornings, I think. Uh-huh. I think it might have been a Saturday morning thing. Anyway, I can remember my parents being very, very excited to reveal to me that there was, a, there was, there was Doctor Who on during the summer. Weird. That, that, that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Um, and that it was on Saturday mornings. Also weird. Doesn't make sense. And then I can also remember being bitterly disappointed and full of <laughs> incandescent rage um, when I had to, when I watched it. And it basically wasn't Doctor Who. It was like, what the hell is this? Yes. Um, and yeah, yes. I remember just hate, just hating, <laughs> hating its guts, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I have since mellowed because I'm an adult now and I can actually uh-huh. see there is a lot. Uh, to commend Doctor Who and the Daleks, but my first reaction to it was like, "What is this crap? Never speak of this, of this movie to me ever again." I think that is pretty much my reaction to it, and not not rage. It's sort of like my reaction to it was. I mean, I was a Ritz kid. I was like have... eight years old or something. So that's why it's. Rage. Yeah, I was. A, I was a teenager. Yeah. So it wasn't much rage. It's sort of like this is pretty bad. 
this, this sucks. But uh, my adult reaction or my current reaction is the people in the UK in the mid-1960s must have really, really craved and hungered Daleks because Dalek mania. this is not that great of a drama. <laughs> well, it's funny because my, my lovely wife, Amanda, was not so much anymore, but was a huge Beatles fan. Um, when she yeah. when she was a teen um, and also into her twenties, um, so we basically we were uh, she and I were talking about Beatlemania, and you know I was then we talked about Dalek Mania, yeah. um, and obviously I wasn't alive in 1965. Spoiler alert! But from what one reads and what one sees, the country really was convulsed with an absolute desire to consume as much Dalek stuff as possible. Very much. I mean, again, we were talking, I would say, well, like, you know, is it like Hard Day's Night or something? Is it, you know, what, what, which Beatles movie is this like? Mm. She said, well, it's probably more like a, like one of the later kind of more cash in ones, yeah. like Yellow Submarine. I mean, Amanda hates Yellow Submarine. Huh. Um, so, you know, brightly colored and stupid, basically. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she said, well, basically, this is the Yellow Submarine of Doctor Who. Um, oh, uh, oh, which, oh so, that's harsh. I like I Yellow Submarine. Oh, God. Well, she hates Yellow Submarine. I mean, she doesn't really like cartoons anyway, so mm-hmm. um, she's not a big fan of Yellow Submarine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you agreed. Okay, you know, this was, and I think it still happens. You get a popular property in one particular medium, and if you're going to make money, then you try and expand it across a whole bunch of different mediums, mm-hmm. uh, media. And the Dalek mania, uh, after, after Doctor Who and the Daleks, um, 1963, 1964, people are just desperate for... People are desperate for Daleks. Um, Got to get their Dalek here. And, and obviously the Daleks had missed their first Christmas, essentially, in terms of merchandising. Yeah. Um, so it was really, it was the Christmas of 1964 into 1965 that was the kind of peak, peak Dalek consuming time. Mm. And um, again, as we know, you know, Terry Nation was very, very interested in making lots of money from owning the copyright to the Daleks. Right. Um, and I think, you know, really watching the movie, what it is, is it's, it's Daleks in color. And what one has to realize is there's something, again, that Amanda was, was interested for me to, was she interested in me to tell her? Anyway, we were having an interesting conversation about it. Basically, people had only seen Daleks in black and white. Right. Um, and to me, the movie's really an excuse for Daleks to be. Um, and there's a package around it, which is, you know, a kind of a plot in some ways, but not really. Um, really, it's for Daleks to do things. And, you know, the Daleks are, uh, the Daleks are the stars of the show. I like Peter Cushing very much. I think he is a, was an extraordinary individual and a great actor. Mm-hmm. This is not his finest hour. No. But I don't think anyone was really telling him how to do this. No. Uh, and I think what what irked me as a kid watching this movie was that um, this was obviously a movie for kids. Um, and again, as I think, you know, with all the Roy Castle, you know, Pratt falling and stuff, you yeah. know, and the, the heroine, you know, Susie Who being like a, a tiny child. Mm-hmm. Um it was obviously a movie for kids, and when I was a kid, what was awesome about Doctor Who is that it was clearly sort of an adult show that yeah. kids were allowed to watch, and that was what was amazing about it. Um, and to have it represented to me as just basically a kid's show, like Crackerjack or something. I mean, the other thing, I'm, I'm dominating the, no, um, go the, the conversation, but it's, it was really interesting watching it. The other thing, of course, Roy Castle, who plays Ian, um, Chesterton um, was very well known to me because he was the host of Record Breakers, which was a B 
big children's TV show. Hmm. Um, it was on after school. Um, it was hosted by Roy Castle. And it was a weird link up between the BBC and the Guinness Book of Records. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it was like a half hour show. And it was basically people breaking records or interviews with people with broken records. Not vinyl records. It's, not vinyl records. It's, yeah. not, it's not a top of the pops type thing. It is yeah, a... you're, 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 you're aware of the Guinness Book of Records, Yes, right? yes, yes. Yeah. So, the, so he was the host. And mm-hmm. then he had two co-hosts um, who were identical twins called Ross and Norris McWhorter, um, who, were, who I, at that time were, were in charge of the Guinness Book of Records. Huh. And the interesting thing about Norris and Ross McWhorter is, I, A, they were old, right. uh, gray-haired people. Two, they were identical twins. Hmm. And three, they were fanatical libertarians um, and started something called the Freedom Society, which was, you know, campaigned for, you know, more apartheid in South Africa and... <sighs> You know, things like that. I mean, you know, libertarian styley things. Um, and then Ross was assassinated by the IRA um, in the mid 1970s, um, leaving his brother alone. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot. Anyway, sorry, that's um, that's record breakers. W- was that on about, BBC One or BBC Two? It was two? on BBC One. Or it, was, huh. it, was on BBC, it was a prime time kid show on wow. BBC One before okay. the news. The other thing about Roy Castle is that he was a jazz trumpeter. Mm-hmm. Um, before he became a, TV, a children's TV presenter. Um, and he also ha- holds the world record for tap dancing. Um, and again, I can remember very clearly, and you can find it on YouTube, he's the, he was the fastest tap. He still holds the record for the fastest tap. Huh. And okay. There you go. That's an info dump on and Roy sure, Castle. All, on Roy Castle, Norris McWhorter, Record Breakers. And why, again, when I watch Doctor Who and the Dark, it's like, it's. I didn't say fucking, but, you know, it's fucking Roy Castle. What the hell? Um, why is he well, in well, a show? Well, 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 You know, it's, it's exactly, exactly. That <laughs> was exactly what I said to myself. Um, <laughs> my nemesis, Roy Castle. No, it's Roy Castle. Like, what the hell? He's like, why isn't he presenting records? Because he was a TV presenter. And in fact, actually, it was the same disconnect and fury that, that I felt when my parents revealed to me that, Peter Purvis, who was a presenter of right. Blue Peter, used to be in Doctor Who. And I like, I do not believe you. Don't tell me that. <laughs> I literally, you're telling me lies. Stop telling me lies. Um, <laughs> of course, I now know that, of course, Peter Purvis was, you know, he was Stephen, the astronaut right. on, in Doctor Who. So it was a similar, similar anger that I mm. felt age eight or whatever it was. You know, this, this guy who I liked as a TV presenter was pretending to be someone on Doctor Who. And right. of course, at that time, I had no idea about, you know, Doctor Who and the Daleks right. being from right. 1963 or whenever it was, you know, with Ian. And, you know, I have a vague idea, I guess, of William Hartnell, but not companions mm-hmm. um, particularly. Or maybe I'd read it and the Daleks at that point, the Target novelization. I can't remember. But anyway, you know, it was it was so different from what I was experiencing with, um, you know, late Pertwee. I think it was the time that I first watched it. But it was like... You you know, this is not the same show. Anyway, right. so those are my childish reactions. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really surprised that the BBC would put this in heavy rotation. Heavy rotation. On repeat and then not repeat the real Doctor Who. <laughs> the real Doctor <laughs> Who and the Daleks. I just, it's sort of like if, if Doctor Who, DR Who and the Daleks was worthy to enough responsibility to, who. Put, to put... In a high rotation on summer repeats, there must have been an audience for Doctor Who in the summer. Why not? You you have yeah. a whole library. You haven't wiped yeah. it yet. 
You haven't Why wiped not? it yet. It's the early seventies, exactly. Why not repeat? Uh, was it well, because I mean, it I wasn't think... in color? I, I mean, it, what I... what was it? What were they? So, I mean, thinking? I think. I mean, I mean, we sort of been through this a little bit. Yeah. A, yes, you know, it was black and white. Yeah. Um, old old Who. So you know, you're not going to be watching that. Uh, I think the other thing is unions and you know having to pay. The unions, a whole big pile of money um, to repeat stuff. Yeah. The drumbeat that the BBC was subjected to in terms of repeats. Repeats were seen to be a waste of licensed payers' money. The BBC should be making new shows, not showing us shows we've seen already. Now, that's a completely different mindset to American television. Right. Um, but it was, and again, we've talked about this. It, this was really, and even as a kid, you know, being a, and I was a fanatical reader of the Radio Times. I love the Radio Times, which is the kind of, you know, the kind of TV guide right. for the BBC. And it was full of letters of people complaining about repeats so the bbc was scared to repeat things um and also the other thing it's doctor who like you know the people running the bbc were like this is a kids show what the Mm -hmm. hell you know kids will watch anything um (laughs) and in the case of me no they wouldn't because i did not like this movie and i think i only made it made it through halfway of it which was astounding because you know, I would have watched the test card. You know, I loved watching TV. Right. And I, certainly I was very seldom I was permitted to watch TV on a Saturday morning. Um, but right. I, I don't remember making it all the way through this film at huh. the time. Yeah, that's, I kind of honestly tuned out about halfway through when they had to go back for the fluid link. I started to glaze <laughs> glaze over. It's sort of like, well, the, the novelty has worn off. And I haven't seen this now since probably 25 30 years so okay i i get it it's kind of slimmed down doctor who they miss kind of the iconic shot of the dalek menacing barbara uh uh, roy castle's comedy ian unrecognizable just the characters are unrecognizable to the doctor who time team that we we know and love with william hartnell and caroline ford and jacqueline hill and William Russell. My take on this is that all the care of the movie was lavished on the Daleks, and I don't think those actors were really given any instruction at all, other than what they had residually absorbed or by what Doctor Who is like. Um, right. Cushing, I think, from what I've read, you know, relished the opportunity to do a kids' movie for kids and be, mm-hmm. you know, a a, a cuddly. Non horror, yeah, yeah, not not Van Helsing anymore, but to be a cuddly grandpa, um, which is exactly what he is. Um, Roy Castle was obviously told to ham it up as much as possible, and the other two are girls. Um, (laughs) You know, who they're just girls. I mean, one of them is 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 a literal child, um, and the other is a girl of some kind who you know does girl things for a bit. You know, it's um, so yeah. I I mean, I said the movie is about the Daleks. The movie is, Mm -hmm. is us getting to see our heroes, which are the Daleks, on the big screen doing Dalek things. And as you point out, they do most of the things that Daleks do. I think they depart a bit from the original Daleks. They seem heavily influenced by Dalek Invasion of Earth Daleks, uh, the more fascist Daleks that we see in the second outing on television. So I think it's already been, uh, Terry Nation has already started to retcon in this screenplay or in this adaptation, how the Daleks are. And granted, he didn't write the screenplay, but it seems like the Daleks, the the evilness of the Daleks is more apparent than it was in the original. Right, right. They are, they are more of the, yes, they are more of the fascist, Nazi, conquering, killing creatures than sort of mysterious, yet then also turning out to be a bit evil characters in the, in the first 
the first mm-hmm. Dalek series. You know, I mean, they, we, we don't really know what they're like. Um, and I suppose, I mean, that's, I mean, there's the, there's the, there's the reason there is that we know what the Daleks are like at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have them be something that's mysterious and, and then, then have to reveal their motives. Um, is pointless because we already know what they're going to do. Is they're is they're going to glide around and kill everybody as much as they want, mm-hmm. as much as as much as possible to exterminate. I, I wonder if this is because the screenplay was written by an American, an expatriate American, uh, Milton Sabatsky, who came over to the UK to work in uh, out of Shepperton Studios to make horror films for the British right. audience. Right, and it does seem very dumbed down and maybe. Uh, it, it's going for studio horror, a, a low budget horror film type look, or a low yeah. budget sci fi film. And like you said, the money is put into the Daleks, and the Daleks rhyme with the uh, television Daleks. They're not exactly the same silhouette. They're a little bit taller, a little more bulky, different lights on the domes, etc. But they're recognizably Daleks more than the uh, Skittles Daleks that we had under Moffat in, uh, right, right. was it Victory of the Daleks? Yeah, Victory of the Daleks, yeah. So I think it's more recognizable Daleks, but they're different enough. And I think this is the first time we see the Dalek claw arm. First time we have the claw, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. But like yeah. you said earlier, the highlight is you get to see Daleks in colors. And the blue gold Dalek, kind of the, the functory Dalek that they have, is pretty, it's a pretty pleasing color combination, I think. It's, it's, a, it's, really, a, it's, really it's, well. it's good. It's, I, I actually, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk in my man area. <laughs> and I, and I, 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 have, I have one of those Daleks right next door to me. And it's the, the, blue, the blue head, um, the, the red ears. The claw, um, the kind of subtle gold uh, midriff, um, they look fabulous. Um, yeah. Where they go nuts is the, is the, is the black Dalek and the red Dalek. Yeah. Um, who, uh, again, it's like, let's see some colorful Daleks. Right, okay, let's paint one red. Mm-hmm. And not just like a subtle red, but like a bright, shiny red. Um, and then the main one was black, and then he's going to have he's gonna have gold bits and silver bits and... Yeah, I mean they're crazy. Those two are, are, are nuts, uh, and I actually kind of like them. Um, I, I, I as, as regular listeners to the podcast will remember, I, I'm going through a, a current phase of doing Dalek customs um, to amuse myself, and I'm mm-hmm. really tempted to do. It would be, it would be expensive because the parts for those are, are expensive to get hold of, but it, I'm really tempted to do the red Dalek because um, I, I think he looks great. The, the black Dalek harder to do with the with the with the bumps that are alternate silver and gold, but you know, yeah, mm-hmm. also also good. They might release uh, release one of those. I can I can imagine character options if the if the movie Daleks set sold well enough. I can imagine those be a repaint that they'll release later. Well, I don't think they will because, oh. as far as I've read, the copyright for the movie Daleks is held by somebody else, and character options can't get hold of it. Huh. The only reason that I am able to have a Dalek drone from Doctor Who and the Daleks in my Dalek collection is because they were reused in the chase. Mm. Um, so basically <laughs> character options only have the copyright to Daleks that were on, were on BBC TV, were on the BBC right, show. Right. And because they use some of the movie Daleks in the chase, character options have then been able to sneak one under the wire 
and we, we have a drone. Um, because the Black Dalek and the Red Dalek from Doctor and the Daleks were not reused in the BBC TV show, they are not available. Mm. Even though they'd just be a repaint. Uh, the, the, well, I mean, this is what's so interesting about the character options Dalek series at the moment. They are really kind of leaning into the fact that basically Daleks are reused constantly. So if you have a set of Dalek parts, you could basically make any Dalek. Yeah. So the difference is always in the paint job. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they don't have the copyright to is the paint job. So. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so there you go. It's got That's that trivia there. got that uh, interesting, fascinating area of rights and. <laughs> <laughs> royalties there <laughs> it is it is interesting and fascinating isn't it it's also a subject that we both know a lot about mm. so that's that's helpful too <laughs> yes <laughs> the metabolism is too legal chat huh? <laughs> exactly yeah just i mean just yeah if you got if you got any legal troubles really listen to us yeah just you know because yeah, we us. can help you out yeah hit yeah, us up really. on twitter we'll we'll sort that out for you <laughs> yeah yeah we just yeah we can we can hook you up yep. it's good yeah better call Saul. <laughs> better call the metabolism too the metabolism too exactly yeah. Um, <laughs> so my wife's reaction to this, because the Daleks is one of her, if not one, I think it is her favorite Hartnell story. Oh, well, she has excellent taste. And uh, so she really likes Barbara and Ian and Susan and Bill Hartnell in there. And she thought that perhaps Cushing was trying to base his character off Hartnell's performance because it seems derivative as I think uh, to put words in her mouth but it, it did seem a little derivative uh, and the other thing that she thought was uh, by actually casting a young a, a child as Susie yeah. it works differently and the story the horror level works a little more differently and i think we already touched upon this which you said it's is geared towards children right and i thought by having both the girls be the grandchildren of doctor who uh also re uh, recast it and so you're not going to get the confrontations that you would uh, get and i eventually like say an edge of destruction between uh, right, barbara right. and the doctor because well they're a yeah. family relationship yeah it's, it's, there's no there's no kind of unusual dynamic there we, we kind of understand exactly what's going on this is a grandfather mm-hmm. and he's got two granddaughters who live with him for some reason you know but i mean and we understand how that works there's no mystery there's no unearthly child mm-hmm. it's, it's just a regular child i wonder why Terry Nation even put Doctor Who in this because he could have written this entirely with a madcap professor. It wouldn't have to be Doctor Who. And the story, I think, it's the story, like you said, it's about the Daleks. And I'm just, I just wonder if it would be better thought of now. Or I I think fans of Doctor Who like it well enough. But I just wonder if it was separate from Doctor Who, if it would have. Uh, more cachet. I mean, I don't. I don't, obviously don't know the the reason. I mean, I would suspect it's something to do with Milton Sabotsky, you know, who is exploit. You know, he was a a maker of exploitation films. And okay, what is the cheapest and quickest way to make this movie? Right. The cheapest and quickest way to make this movie is simply weirdly adapt a script that already exists. Hmm. There's no point in writing coming up with something new because what the kids want to see are Daleks. Right. Um, it doesn't matter what they're clothed in. What would cost more money if we wrote something new? Let's just do what we've got already. We can get Cushing involved. Um, uh, you know, bish bosh, job done, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda's reaction to to Susie Who, 
was that why are they putting this child in so much danger? Which actually, watching it with her kind of vaguely horrified reaction that this obviously you know young child was having to wander through an evil space jungle, um, <laughs> it was like yeah, I mean her grandfather is a monster of some kind, subjecting her to this kind of stuff. But I thought that was an interesting reaction. Here's my here's one of my takes, and again, I have no proof for this. You you say that Rita really felt that Cushing was kind of basing his performance on 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 Hartnell, which I think obviously he was in some way because Hartnell was the Who at that time. Right. I have a I have another theory. Was it's well known, um, and it's actually kind of revealed in the first thirty seconds of the movie that Peter Cushing was a huge comics fan. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he's seen reading the Eagle. Mm-hmm. You know, the other two who's uh, reading kind of science books. Right. Um, uh, but he was a huge fan of comics, a huge fan of the Eagle. I'm wondering whether the performance he was kind of basing his performance on was Doctor Who in in the comics. Mm. Could um, be. No, yeah. I, no, With, I don't uh, know. I, and, uh, yes, exactly. Jillian and. I can't remember. Is it John and, I, and Jillian? I can't remember. I think it's John and Jillian. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think, I think actually to me, I, and I'd have to, I'd have to have done more homework for this podcast than I've had, which is kind of correlate where the Dalek comics were and where the Doctor Who comics were at this point in, you know, 1964 slash 65. But I'm thinking he's really basing his performance on, on William Hartnell in the comics, mm. the, the kind of grandfatherly, right. um, yeah. um, the grandfatherly words and things seem to be a lot more to do with the comics and actually thinking about, you know, how Troughton spoke, you know, how the, the second doctor spoke in the comics and even all the way up to early Tom Baker comics, he was still saying, my dear, and, you know, all that kind of right. pseudo grandfatherly um, wordage, verbiage. So I'm, I mean, that's my theory that actually, because I mean, I think obviously Cushing would have seen the TV show, but mm-hmm. I think 100% he was, he was reading the comics. Because um, he was again well known to be a huge comics fan. Beware the trods. A, a, a British <laughs> comics, yeah, exactly. A British comics, not obviously not not Marvel and DC. Right, and all that right, right, nonsense, right, right. Yeah, yeah, British comics. So anyway, mm-hmm. so that's my that's my theory. I think that that has a lot of credence too, especially because it, it's not quite Hartnell esque, but it's more generic grandfather. Yeah, yeah, definitely generic. I mean, I, I've never, I've actually never seen I've, both my grandfathers predeceased me so i've never actually encountered a grandfather in the flesh mm-hmm. but i'm um, one kind of i mean uh, i don't know maybe that's what grandfathers are like it seems possible that that's what grandfathers are, are like but no, how, how, how's uh, your daughter's grandfather there and uh... oh well that's true my yes who's my who's my father-in-law indeed yeah. um he's he's definitely not like peter cushing <laughs> in doctor and the daleks in any way <laughs> um, 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 uh, so there you go. Uh, my own father, who I guess was grandfather to my children for, you know, 10 years or so before he popped his clogs, um, again, wasn't particularly like Peter Cushing, but there you go. But he wasn't also a 1960s grandfather. But he also either. wasn't a grandfather from the 1960s. Oh dear. Yeah. This, this, uh, but the, the movie, yeah, the movie is hilarious actually in many interesting, interesting ways. Um, we actually, we had, we had a lot of fun watching it. So I think that peril that Susie Who is in is purely uh, laziness on the script writing, and it does uh, make the three adults really pretty ineffectual throughout the story. And they set that up early with the the gag because Susie Who's reading the most heavy scientific right, tomes, right, and right, and then it gets 
gets to a kind of a penguin level of science that Barbara's reading, and then obviously the Eagle Comics that Doctor Who is reading. So, right, 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 right. And that's supposed to be the big joke. Ha, 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 Doctor Who is this big inventor, but obviously he's one of us kids because he's a kid. He's reading the comics. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The only imagery from the television show are you have the police box silhouette and the BBC obviously didn't own the rights to the Metropolitan Call Box at that point. So that's okay. We can use that. And it looks like Terry Nation really pulled the rabbit out of the hat getting licensing and the look that uh, Ray Cusick designed, BBC designed for the Daleks to be in this movie. Yeah, because, I mean, these could have been the trods, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I just, again, looking at it, it was like, well, hang on, Doctor Who, the mad scientist, he's invented a time machine. And for some reason, he's decided to make it into the shape of a police box. Yeah. Um, which is like, well, why did he do that? No explanation, mm-hmm. obviously, because we know the explanation. He's Doctor Who, and that's what Doctor Who's, that, that's what TARDIS looks like. Um, <laughs> yeah, TARDIS. <laughs> TARDIS. Why not just call it the TARDIS? Anyway, no, it's TARDIS. Don't yep. call it the TARDIS. Uh, there's, it's one of many. A police box is a police box is a police box, so you can do what you want because it's a mm-hmm. thing that exists. They obviously weren't able to get, for whatever reason, from the BBC permission to do the console room. Yeah, it's just a big collection of it's just some really stuff. cheaply assembled junk. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think actually that console room reappears in. Um, oh god, what's the Lance Park in Missing Adventure? I can't remember. Um, damn, that was the one factoid that I should remember. Anyway, that console room actually does has has appeared in in Big Finish and also in in the Missing Adventures, um, which is kind of nice. And of course, I mean, you know, the crazy thing about um, I mean, maybe we we'll, we we'll, we'll do Dalek, the Dalek invasion of Earth. Um, uh, 2150 AD um, yeah. but there is the Bernard Cribbins problem in that movie which is kind of interesting but yeah I mean we were I mean the, sorry I'm just gonna, the, the bit where Amanda and I were basically weeping with laughter uh, and we, and, yeah, with affectionate laughter um, was, the, <laughs> was the countdown bit where the where the the black Dalek is trying to have a conversation with with Susie Who and Doctor Who, and then in the background the red Dalek is kind of reading out the countdown: mm-hmm. sixty six, sixty five, <laughs> sixty. And it's like you can see it because um, yep. it's on a big screen, and he's just reading it out. And like, and you can imagine like the black Dalek, like the red mate. Honestly, I'm trying to talk to the Who's here. <laughs> I'm trying to talk to them. Can you just keep it down? Everyone can see the countdown. There's no need to read it out. Um, he's a little the red Dalek's a little OCD. He's a little, just slightly, slightly. Yeah, no, he, he only feels the countdown is actually happening if he can actually if he can yes, read it out. Got to reset exactly. it exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there are some unintentional, completely hilarious moments, and yeah, as I said we had a lot of fun watching it. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get too far away from it, uh, it's Cold Fusion. Oh, it is Cold Fusion. Is the exactly. Park it's Cold Fusion. exactly. Yeah. Yes, Cold yeah. Fusion is where the is where the is where the is where the the TV. Uh, the the movie uh, console room reappears. Yeah, Davison Doctor and his uh, original time team, and also of course the the McCoy Doctor appears as well. Spoiler alert! Oh, it's towards the end. Yeah, towards the end. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually Cold Fusion as well. It's a great big finish and it's a great book as well. And I definitely recommend um, both of those two things. Yeah, it, it's not that much of a spoiler because they have McCoy on the cover. So <laughs> that's true. They do. It's, it's not. It's not. They that do as, ruin. They it, do ruin it by that. It's not but. actually a spoiler. That's true. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, it goes. Yeah. I mean, again, I think. I mean, just thinking about you know where the Who movies sit within Who in general. 
um, is I think, as far as I remember, Moffat addressed this, yep. and basically yeah. these movies are the movies that were made in the Hooniverse because people had a sort of idea that Doctor Who actually existed, and this is the movie that they made, which is actually a, a nice piece of continuity that I retconny. like. Um, like <laughs> kind of retcon continuity, which I kind of enjoy, to be honest, apart from the Bernard Cribbins problem, which means Bernard Cribbins exists in both universes, which is, you know, difficult, but there you go. Can't win them all. But it's, I mean, again, I mean, that, 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 that kind of makes sense to me, and I actually kind of enjoy the idea of, I don't know, the Doctor... And I don't know Sarah Jane um, or I know Joe Grant actually you know sneaking into the movies one afternoon and kind of watching themselves or watching themselves on TV um, and going yes that's the movie version of my first adventure <laughs> catch the matinee of myself in action <laughs> exactly the matinee of myself in action I'm not sure that the first Doctor would have would have approved of it that much I don't think he would have let Ian and well Ian and Barbara may have watched it themselves actually um, London you know, 1965 with, uh, London 1965 <laughs> and been astounded to see themselves so badly represented in the movies but I think they would have enjoyed it I don't think the first Doctor would have enjoyed seeing the Cushing Doctor at all well William Russell was is a movie star movie actor I wonder why I, I would just, I mean, well, they didn't why, why didn't him. I, Yeah, good, yeah, yeah, good, good. I mean, I think, I think, well, I, I'll give you two reasons that I think. One is he's too, he was too busy making Doctor Who, and two, they wanted someone who could do physical comedy. Mm. Um, yeah, Pratt Falls. Which is Pratt Falls, you know, which, you know, I think. That's not William Russell. It's not William Russell. As much as, you know, um, I admire Roy Castle, uh, you know, he was a comedian and, you know, performer. Um, and falling about and doing double takes and stuff was was what he did. And I, I actually I think you know William Russell was a, was and is a far better actor than that. Yeah, Bill Hartnell was so attentive to detail and protective yeah. of the character. True. If after Hill and Russell left the show in '65, and right. they had a recording break from Doctor Who because uh, Caroline Ford had already left the show, so three of the four regulars had already left the show if they would have made this would that have worked that's an excellent question and um, you know i've never seen that question put before hmm. and i don't know i mean i think yeah i mean hmm. i mean he he was a definitely a film actor def, definitely knew, knew what he was doing in a film studio i think definitely you know very very protective and attentive to the detail of his character i think it would have been too difficult i mean i don't think they would have got the quick instant cinema ready performance I, th I think bill hartnell's performance was would have been too subtle for them to be honest. it's too subtle for this movie it could have been a disaster with hartnell on the set because there is too much divergence from yeah. there there's no console room and he he would know he, where he, he, the switches he, were you <laughs> where every control was exactly yeah, yeah exactly and again in terms of an actor I mean, I guess he was in Carry On, Sergeant Major, but, you know, he was a serious film actor. You know, he was not a comedian. Legitimate, I think, is the word Le you're looking for. Yes, legitimate, exactly. <laughs> a legitimate film actor. Um, and I can't see him putting up with Roy Castle's pratfalls. It really is pantomime Doctor Who. It is what you would look at for a Christmas pantomime. It's not a spoof. It's not mocking. But it is, it is a lighthearted take on something that has a much more drama Absolutely. intensity. The television show has, has it all. Right. And this is more at a cotton candy type level. 
Yeah. I mean, I think my anger seeing it when I was a kid, uh, I would have thought Hartnell would have felt the same anger. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, as I said, this, this the TV show is a show that's kind of for adults. It's got adult drama in it. And what makes all of Who work, actually, all the way through, apart from... You know, some bits during the Bakers is the actors take it absolutely 100% seriously. That is how the show is sold mm-hmm. as drama, is that it's ridiculous. Yes, pretty much all of Who, Doctor Who, is completely ridiculous. But because everyone takes it 100% seriously, we believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, where I find it breaks down in you know, the later part of the Tom Baker era is when Tom Baker stops taking it seriously. Um, and where I find it starts to break down at some points during the Colin Baker era, I think Colin Baker takes the show seriously, but the show stops taking itself seriously. Right. And then you know, when it flips over into Sylvester McCoy, also the first McCoy season, I've got I've got some problems with. The, I think the issue with this movie is essentially it's not really taking the drama that seriously. Um, and And where it is being serious, it's using the same kind of sci-fi exploitation movie tropes that everyone's familiar with you know the the thals have got blue eyeshadow um <laughs> you know um and they're yeah. tall they're they're really big they are tall yeah they're, they're tall people lumbering yeah, yeah. hulky giant yes. hulking giants um but uh, so you've said that the the movie the, it's the you know the the, the both the Cushing as the kind of avuncular grandfather and the Roy Castle Ian character are not serious characters. And mm-hmm. I think that's what irritated me. And I think that's what makes the movie essentially not a serious piece of drama. Now, I think where we get, when we go into uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD, I think there is actually a lot more serious drama in that movie. And if we decide to, to, to review that one in... Um, uh, this podcast, we can talk about that. But I think, yeah. I think, and I think that's interesting because actually that movie was released really when Dalek Mania had kind of waned mm-hmm. and was not nearly as successful. One reads as this one in, in the box office. Well, I think the actor who's taking it most seriously is Toby, right? The young right. girl. I think she is playing Susie, who as straight as it can Completely go. I think straight, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else is saying knows what the score is, but. The little girl, the one who's probably a Dalek fan, Doctor Who fan herself, uh, is you know playing it straight because that's the way it should be. Yeah, Do- that's Doctor Who. Yeah, and it's and I think you know it's a, she's a child actor, and you know I think I don't know what her range was as a child actor. I've not seen her in in anything else, but you know I think at that age you probably all you can do is play it straight, um, and she does an excellent job actually. I mean I think she is kind of believable as a child. Mm-hmm. And uh, her the kind of sincerity of her performance, as uh, you know, in we did is you know obviously is kind of ridiculous. Is kind of let down by the the comedic performances of of, of the two male leads, Barbara, who sort of really isn't present at all, sadly. Um, but I mean, I think yeah. that's just the that's just the way those kind of movies work basically and again you know it's an exploitation movie but it's an exploitation movie for kids which is kind of an interesting and different genre so <laughs> so you know she can't walk around in a bikini like right. you might expect her to do in a regular exploitation movie because it's for kids so she's right. kind of got no role at all right other than to pick up the goopy food and rub it on the on the Daleks eye store, which we we both went like, ooh, that's horrible. Yeah. Which I suppose was the reaction that kids, I mean, both Amanda and I were watching it as if we were children. <laughs> 
Well, that's probably the healthy, healthy uh, way to look uh, at it. I think so. I think so, yeah. I, I was looking so. at as, well, this is my uh, contractual obligation episode. <laughs> and... <laughs> contractual obligation album. Uh... <laughs> so... I'm. What did you? What do you make of the Daleks' uh, compressed fire extinguisher guns? I guess. Okay, this was rewinding back to my eight-year-old self. This was another thing that I absolutely hated. It's like, why is there no like negative extermination effect? The one that I like. Right. Um, why are they just firing smoke at each other? Um. You know, and I suppose it's interesting. Um, so no, I don't like that effect at all. I think originally they were supposed to have flamethrowers until everyone realized right. that. That would a be dangerous and also be also be very dangerous. Um, yep. So, but I think it's interesting. You know, even as we think, oh, you know, TV is really kind of primitive medium compared to movies. That negative effect was something they couldn't do. Yeah. In the movie, but they could do in the TV studio. So yeah. So like, TV is better than movies. Again, I thought it was kind of interesting that you know, obviously. I don't know. I mean, I watched it on a standard DVD. I've no idea what the thing looks like, you know, in 4K. But bits of it look really cheap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, cheap, cheaper yeah. than TV Doctor Who. I mean, the sets were really kind of dodgy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cheap, 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 all the way around. Like you said, the money was in the Daleks. And the thing that this does really well is there is a boatload of Daleks. There is oh yeah, there's a yes, there's ton a of Daleks bunch. in it, and sort of like that's where the budget went. You got as many yeah. Daleks as you possibly can need. I mean, I so I would just go back to the cheapness thing for a second. The house that the Who's live in doesn't make sense. Um, they walk out through the back door, but that back door wall has a serving hatch in it. Um, which implies it actually goes to the kitchen, but it doesn't. It goes to the garden. I mean, you know, that is a pretty cheap set of walls that they've assembled to make that house because obviously it's not an important part of the story. And yes, I am going to agree with you for for a second time. The Daleks is what the movie is about. And again, you know, there's several shots. The the bit where the the black Dalek is kind of, you know, massing his troops. And that shot from below, and he's got his sucker arm and his blaster arm, exterminator arm out. You know, he looks like Hitler or something. Brilliant. Love it. Daleks, mm-hmm. fantastic. The bit where they try and assault the Dalek city and then for some reason the kind of hillside parts and then all the Daleks come out of their special Dalek doors and they're all kind of around that. Again, brilliant. Daleks, they're right there. And if you're watching this movie in order to see Daleks, you're going to be happy because there's a bunch of Daleks in it doing Dalek things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they could be exterminating in more horrible ways more kind of 70s ways, the ways that I enjoy Daleks exterminating people. And they could be more schematic, they could be more cunning, Mm -hmm. like 60s Daleks. But, you know, visually they look great. I agree. They're impressive and it's what you would tune in for. So that's the whole reason why you're there. You're watching, you're there for the Daleks. You're not there for Doctor Who because Doctor Who, as you, a fan in 1960s, know it, isn't there. This is DR Who. This this isn't Doctor Who. And that's kind of the takeaway I always have it is. And this isn't Doctor Who. It's the Who family, yeah. This is the Daleks. And this is kind of the pastiche that I think the Destroyers would have been if Terry Nation, if he ever got that aired in the United States as a Dalek serial, it just would have been kind of brightly colored, cheaply put together, but featuring some really, really cool looking Daleks. Yeah, and the way the Daleks are, present themselves in their colorful forms, um, you know, it's a lot closer to the comics. And I think of this movie more in relationship to the Dalek annuals later in the 70s uh, and you know, in the kind of mid-70s and just the 
which had large sections, I think, were ghost-written or part-written by Whitaker, part-written by, by Nation. Um, and they also had the reprints of the 60s Dalek strip. And <laughs> they're, just, they're just more like that, basically. Actually, the one of the things it was kind of connecting me to was, was something that I've been rereading recently because I just really enjoy them, is the, the Mechmaster web comics of the, the saga of the Dalek First Empire and Second Empire. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of similar... Yeah. The Daleks from time to time are kind of goofy, um, and they're also brightly coloured. And it's just Daleks, you know, just Daleks doing Dalek things. Uh, kind of like my last little thought here with uh, the Sabatsky screenplay is what I would have done differently. And if given that, I think the first thing I would do is I would have excised Doctor Who completely. But if I was going to keep Doctor Who, the plot has the whole we have to return because we lost the fluid link. I would have ditched the whole fluid link aspect of the plot. It calls attention to the uh, TARDIS console room, for lack of a better term. Area, the TARDIS area. And that the fluid link, it's just a thing on a pegboard. It's just, it's really, it's it just accentuates how cheap this is. It's a stage play, effectively. It, it's, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's not even a big budget stage play. It's, it's, it's like amateur community theater low budget what you have in in the back of your garage or in your basement lying around type uh set design it's really pretty pretty basic and it's it's already so streamlined anyways really you just want to have the big battle of the daleks and the thals or i think you see one thal die and it's a trap it's pretty much Daleks being impotent, shooting each other because they're so light on the feet or light on the wheels that they can be spun around and redirected. It's it's right. It's uh, with those cool Daleks, you could have done something more with them. And but but you're here to cash in. Yeah, I mean it's it's a Dalek parade. I mean basically, you know, the Daleks could just walk about, and you know, then we'd be happy, or at least the direct, you know, the producer of the movie fans they think fans are happy i mean sadly because you know uh, i don't think my lovely wife is this is interested in who is perhaps your wife is um amanda's never seen the original dalek serial um so mm. things like you know the cold cliff jumping thing and the, especially the fluid link she was like well you know what why what's going on here right um and again it was having her as a, someone who'd not watched any of this before um, and seeing seeing some of it, seeing it basically through her eyes, that was kind of interesting because you know um, yeah. it was so clear that they kept elements of the TV plot, but right. those elements didn't have any point whatsoever. They were just yeah. there because they were in the TV script, mm-hmm. and you know the kind of deviousness. I mean, I suppose you know Cushing tries to sell it you know, with his little winks to Susie Who that he's sabotaging the the, right. the um the, but it's 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 a hard sell because he's not that kind of doctor. Right. We already know from watching um you know the tribe of gum etc that the Hartnell Who can be tricky and he's yeah. an alien and he's not really trustworthy. Basically, Peter Cushing, he's a lovable old grandfather. He's, you know, he's he, a vuncular grandfather, yeah. He wouldn't do a trick like that. And, you know, again, Cushing tries to sell it, but it's kind of unbelievable. Even if you're going to have it and you have Prattfells of uh, Ian, you would have Ian go in there and break it. Right. Perfect. Okay. Right. Okay. As usual, at this point of the podcast, we start rewriting what we've just seen to make it better. Yes. 
much yeah, like I the agree. BBC broadcasts this in the summer fallow period of Doctor Who. We're watching in the summer fallow period of Doctor Who. Fallow, fallow period of Doctor Who, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting artifact. I, as I said, I have it on DVD. I am not going to be upgrading myself to a, to a 4K version, sadly. Well, I found it on archive.org, uh, probably not legitimately, yeah. <laughs> but the whole movie was there, and I figure uh, it got all the money it deserves yeah, out of me. Yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a double-sided <laughs> one of those DVDs that flip over, so, you know, yeah, yeah it's a, it, it oh. didn't cost me a huge yep. amount of money. You got uh, twenty one fifty on there the other go. side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which which I actually I prefer. But anyway, we can maybe we can decide to review that. On the... Well, it has uh, Philip Maddock in it. So. Uh, indeed, and also, but and I, again, but I like. I mean, Bernard Cribbins and Bernard Cribbins. Is, yeah, I mean, I, I a lot of affection for Roy Castle as a TV presenter, but I mean, Bernard Cribbins is just an absolute you know national treasure. So anything that he's in is always good. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Okay. Well, that's uh, pretty much all I've got on Doctor Who and the Daleks. I'm afraid. But you know, if you are considering buying the 4K upgrade, please do so, and please use this podcast as your guide to watching the movie, <laughs> or not, or not, <laughs> as the case may be. You have to be a Doctor Who fan to get something out of it. Right. But I've always had a tortured relationship with Dr. Who and the Daleks, and <laughs> I, I never had the rage. It's just sort of like the crushing disappointment because. When I saw it on the TV schedule back in the 80s, I thought I would be seeing uh, Hartnell and Co. in color on the screen. Which would have been awesome. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know, I guess I hold a grudge. I just still can't get <laughs> over that initial disappointment. No, and, and I, I also hold a similar grudge. I was expecting, you know, something really hardcore and punchy like I was used to. How I felt, mm-hmm. you know, the Doctor Who that I was experiencing at the time was like... And this just was, as I said, this was, this was so obviously for kids. And my strong feeling about Doctor Who then and still is, is that, is that, you know, it was a, it was not a kid show. Um, it was yeah. a kid show that was, it was a show that was ostensibly for kids, but secretly it was an adult show that only kids knew about. Yeah. Yeah. If this was the inspiration for the television show, which is generally how a lot of things go. Either you have the book first or you have the movie first and then you get the television show. Right. If it was the other way around, I don't think we'd be talking today about this program at all because right. This, right. there's just not enough there. And just like the the, t- the TV presentation just has so many layers of richness in it just from the original design that Kuzak has with the, with the slightly angled uh, door openings rather than, you know, full-on square door openings, just sort of BBC radiophonic sound with the Dalek control room and those in the marsh and the Dalek city. Right, right. It's so textured and layered, and this is just turning the crank to get some money out of it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. like you said, exploitation film. It's an artifact of its time yes. in a way that actual Doctor Who on the TV, you know, the Hartnell series, is something that is not an artifact of its time. It is something that is timeless. Yes. Um, you know, This is a movie that could only be made in 1965. What is genius about Doctor Who is that it's so good, the TV show, that it kind of could have been made at any time. Yeah. That's, what, that's why I like it so yeah. much, um, because it is so mature and well thought out and real in a way that this movie is not mature, is not well thought out, and is incredibly unreal. Yep. Um, camp, kitsch, you know, it's, it's, as you said, it's, it's Doctor Who's pantomime, yep. which is fine, but it's, it makes it something that is just an artifact, really, for me. 
All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. thank you for listening to episode 209 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. I have been shaking my head in dismay with Ben. And I've been slowly <laughs> reading out the countdown with David. <laughs> I think we have four, three, two, <laughs> two. one, it's, 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 three. It's, it's, it stops it's, at three. It stops at three. It stops at three. It's my lucky uh. number. This is, this is my lucky number, says Roy Carson. He should have pulled out his trumpet at that point. And d- 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 he was really good at playing the trumpet. Uh, two things that you need to do when you stop doing this podcast is go to YouTube. One, Roy Castle tap dancing record. And two, Roy Castle playing the trumpet. He's brilliant playing the trumpet. He's really good tap dancing. If I can find him playing the trumpet, I'll have him uh, tootle us out here. Oh, excellent. Okay, it's very cool. All right. Until next time. Farewell. Goodbye. Bye-bye. broken down cafe My world is rocking on its heels I'm having a lonesome cup of coffee The brain is making with the wheels In walks this doll with real life tears And looking neither left or right She orders a lonesome cup of coffee Looks like it's lonesome out tonight Say now, baby, easy there. I'm wondering, should I dare? Got troubles myself, and they're rough. Better to keep my big mouth shut. The edge in her voice might cut. Cut me down, and I feel low. But then she might have welcomed me And who's to say if this is wrong The world is a lonesome cup of coffee And life goes merrily